hello and welcome to The Queer Experience. My name is Eric, I'm your host, you see they pronouns, and today we are talking about all things DMing and GMing of tabletop adventures. Um, and I brought two uh, incredible DMs along for the journey to talk to me about kind of how they do things. I'm going to go down the line alphabetically and let folks introduce themselves. So Tanya, would you like to go first? Uh, sure. Hello there. My name is Tanya, known everywhere online as Cypher of Tear. Uh, I DM sporadically. The last thing I DM'd was season 14 Arrivals of Waterdeep. Uh, also am making the Into the Motherlands RPG with a amazing crew of, of POC folks. And I'm involved with the fifth season RPG uh, based on N.K. Jemison's award-winning trilogy. And, you know, one day I will not always be a DM or always a player. It seems to rotate. And Wesley. Hi, everybody. I'm Wesley. Uh, I'm known online everywhere as Wesselhausen. Uh, I am a DM, a storyteller, and I do a ton of uh, DMing and storytelling uh, for charity series. And uh, hopefully this year I get a little bit more practice at being a player as opposed to a forever constant GM. But we'll see how this plays out. We can always hope, right? Like you can always hope, like I'm going to get, I'm going to get that balance. I'm going to get to play and I'm going to get to run games. One can only hope. So I, so my, my first question, I think that, and that is probably the most important one for, for folks. So the, again, for folks listening, the idea today is, is three of us that have DM'd and GM'd many games for, I'm assuming for a bit, um, just kind of talking about our process, talking about what we've learned, talking about how we approach gaming, um, and so I feel like the first question to kick it off to whichever of you would like to jump in first is how did, how did you become a DM? How, well, maybe what was your first game? What, what was it that got you into the DM's chair? Ooh, uh, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I can go first for this one. Sure. So I jumped into uh, the DM chair actually at a very, very young age. When I first started collecting D&D books first at the the start of it all, Um, I was fascinated by this world. I was fascinated by all of these different characters and that, like, you kind of got to make the story as you went with all of your friends. I thought that was, like, the coolest thing in the world. And then I very quickly realized that the friends that I had uh, in uh, middle school were not all that excited and interested by this concept. So that kind of got put on a shelf and cue many years later, whenever I uh, was in college and many other friends were like, yeah, we're thinking about getting into this thing called, I think it's called Dungeons and Dragons. And my eyes lit up and I was like, I, I will, I have all of the things. I have all of the stuff. We can do this. I'm ready. This is my time. People are finally here for this. And it just kind of became that moment of like, wanting to really take part in this really cool idea of storytelling so i just jumped in and was like all right let's go we're gonna do this i can just imagine you going my people need me (laughs) it's my time (laughs) i was born for this moment it's that it's that anime casting off the cloak moment where all of a sudden you completely changed outfits and you're like i have the books i'm ready yep yep um, for me, it was a little older because I, I survived the satanic panic. So there was no playing D&D at home. 
uh, no support of me wanting to do that. And it was when I was older, I want to say like early 20s. And in my case, it was a mix of friends, like quote unquote, growing out of it, but also finding other friends and um, wanting to just tell my own stories because, you know, older D&D didn't always include people like me. And I wanted to tell the stories I wanted to tell. I wanted to kind of, you know, a little bit of control freak came out when I was younger, control the narrative. But then I realized I like world building. I like storytelling. Um, and then I fell off of it for quite a while, actually, until I came back and was on Rivals. Nice. And then, and how long have you been doing the the DMing for Rivals? Uh, I just finished DMing my second season. We actually rotate DMs. We don't have the same DM every season. Uh, so I DM season eight and season 14. Nice. That's actually one of my favorite things about Rivals. I, I love watching it and uh, listening to it and keeping up with it. And I adore the the rotating DM. And it's so fascinating to see the flavors of all of of all of the DMs. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, with how I ended the season, we had no clue how Masood was gonna kick off season fifteen. Um, but also I'm digressing. I will I will have that squirrel shiny moment very easily. <laughs> so don't let me waylay us from the actual cow question. No, we're good. We're good. And I think I think I, I actually think fall differently than both of you, which is my first DMing experience was not with D&D or like a longstanding high fantasy adventure. My first DM experience or GM experience was with a random little indie game called Slasher Flick, which is a trope-filled 80s, 90s horror-inspired RPG where you get, it's like all intended to be one-shots, you get your friends together, and then as like the DM, you're basically trying to see how many of them you can off before the game ends through like the most absurd tropes and like you know people get rewarded for like oh i'm gonna go off by myself and like they get points for that um but it was one that i picked up because it was i love horror movies and i love horror as a genre and i was like this would be wild um to just sit down and play with friends and kind of running my own games and that developed into i did a lot of like small one shot of like little systems that we could find um, including like monster of the week and some of those with just friends on like weekends. And it was a long time before I actually did like a full D and D campaign. Um, oh, wow. my, yeah. My start was with the weird little indie games, which maybe is why I have a podcast now focused on all the weird little indie games, because <laughs> that's literally been like my, that was my entryway um, was finding some of those, which has been interesting kind of going back and forth between those and like something bigger, like D and D or Pathfinder or some of those. Um, now when, when you all are running stuff, do you prefer, and for people who are thinking about running things, do you prefer thinking about like a homebrew? Do you tend to do more module or adventure based things or some kind of a mix of a mix of both? Um, well, for someone who's never DM'd before, um, well, for me, I depending on what I'm doing. So for Dragon Age, I can and have homebrewed it because I know Dragon Age lore like better than I know anything, any useful information. <laughs> um, but when it comes to like D&D or something like that, if someone is a starting GM or DM, mm-hmm. I would say there's no shame in pre-gens. There's no shame in running a module until you get comfortable 
with the kind of flow of things. And also what I've noticed is beginning DMs and gyms and myself included over prepare and your players will throw that out in the first 10 minutes of play. So accept that your players are going to destroy whatever plan you may have and learn to run with it. It is all improv most of the time. Um, but I, starting out, I, I did modules. I did intro stuff. I used pre-gens. Then as I got more comfortable, I was able to like kind of just fudge it or play around with it or go, okay, I like this. I like this bit of Ravenloft. I like this bit of Witchlight, you know, and I'll, I'll come along and kind of mash up what I want to do. But in the beginning, there's no shame in learning and kind of getting your feet settled by doing modules and using pre-gens and, you know, learning together with your players. And I, I, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. You're good. Go for it. (laughs) I was going to say, kind of uh, jumping off of that, I, I think that it's a really great way to kind of like help also teach yourself a lot of those skills as you're utilizing pre-generated like modules and books in the beginning because these are adventures and and games that had been edited and styled and made to kind of like work in the ways that they are presented to you so you can kind of look at that and be like okay now i kind of understand how these sets of things go together now I can kind of put my own spin on it and I kind of know how it's going to be balanced, how it's going to play out, um, how it's going to be presented to the players. And I, I think that that kind of like, I, I do that so often where I'll grab this encounter from this book and I really like this lore from this other one. I love kind of like picking and choosing and then kind of like putting it, my own little spin on it as, as we go. Yeah, I've definitely taken modules like I found like encounters or modules and just like shove them into like a homebrew because I'm like, ooh, I need something that feels like this. Let me just Google a little bit. Let me bop around on drive through RPG and see what kind of things I can rustle up. And oh, here's like this little cute module of like, oh, for level five players, you know, that kind of ticks a couple boxes that I needed and could could put it in place when I was seeing a spot where I was like, I'm creatively, I'm not, I'm not flowing today. I need, I need some guidance. I need a little assistance. Um, and I think I've, I've been finishing up the the Strahd campaign right now with a group of friends. It's the first time I've run like a full pre-made module or pre-made adventure, which has been interesting to run. Um, I've enjoyed it. And I think it's been, it's been nice because on a DM GM side of things, it's nice that I have to like, as, as Tanya was saying, like over, you're going to prepare all this stuff and then your players are going to throw it all out the window anyways. So it's nice to have like a, a roadmap where if they throw something out the door or out the window, I can just readjust anyways. I'm like, oh, you didn't go to the place I wanted you to. I have all the backstory and lore and everything I need for this other town that you've decided to go to. And I can jump right into that pretty easily. Um, but I do agree that starting off with like pre-gens or starting off with modules or things can be really helpful for for like new folks trying to, to find their way. Um, when you all got started, were there things that like you felt like you fell into pretty quickly or things that you found to be a little bit more challenging about being a, a DM versus like having maybe been a player before? Uh, I went first last time. So let was go first. <laughs> yeah. Oh, were you, were you like here? I please talk first. No, no, no. I, I will absolutely jump into this one. Um, whenever I 
uh, kind of fell into or very boldly stepped into the role of uh, GM and storyteller. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that I, I kind of latched onto quickly is just kind of adapting. Like like Tanya had mentioned before, you really have to be able to be on your toes as a GM because your players will find every way possible to do many different things than you were anticipating. Um, and kind of coming from an arts background myself, uh, kind of being able to utilize those skills and be like, I originally had anticipated us spending a vastly larger amount of time in this city and now we are on the road somewhere else entirely because you all didn't vibe with this city as much okay i'm gonna take all of these things that i had and now this isn't a group of bandits in an alley this is a group of hobgoblins on a crowded walkway in the woods and just kind of like take everything that you had kind of like worked on and just like flip it and present it in a little bit slightly different way based on what the players had given you. And just kind of like going with going with their flow and taking a lot of direction from them. Absolutely. Right. And what about for you, Tanya? Um, I again the the I learned early not to over prepare because uh, performance anxiety is real. And I thought I would be terrible at this. Who would want to sit at a table with me? Oh, wait, I still think that now. Um, and, you know, also realizing that, you know, getting out of the mindset and the early mindset a lot of people had with D&D and other games is that it's you versus them. It's you versus the player. That mm -hmm. there's a win condition. And, you know, I it doesn't come out often, but I can be a very competitive person. Um, but I had to get out of that mindset early because the whole idea is for us to all have fun and tell a story. And then I would run into DMs who still had that competitive mindset. Be like, oh, this is what I'm trying not to do. Um, the one thing I think I could do well was kind of once I learned how to roll with it, where this is kind of the story beats I want these players to hit. Well, they didn't do anything I'd hope they'd do today. Guess we're just kind of going into Avernus. I don't know. And it's like, see what happens there. Um, you know, also kind of having a plan B and C where it's not like I've mapped out this expansive, you know, 10 page narrative. Should they not go where I want them to go? But it's like, okay, if they don't follow the breadcrumbs, but they, they pick up the pieces of pie instead. I've still got something of a plan. And the one thing I learned is have a, a list of names handy because without fail, your players will get attached to the one NPC you had no plan for aside from here is ye old uh, adventure. Please go forth and adventure. And then they want to know that this like orcs, history and become their friend and come back to the tavern they met them in and i'm just like i had no plan for this character beyond they gave you a scroll and you went on your way crap what do i do um so learning to roll with it and learning to improv especially you know being on rivals and black dice that's something i've learned you know dming because it's, it's weird to be on the side of the table one season and then running it the next season. It's a little weird. Um, so, yeah. And also learning to relax. That's been hard for me previously because you, you always want to, like, have that cool moment. And you're like, well, that's not going to happen today. And it, I'm, no one can see me, including uh, 
Eric and Wesselhausen, but I'm miming crumpling up paper and throwing it over my shoulder because that's how I feel those days. Yep. I feel like, I feel like every good DM has those, has at least one or two story or more at this point of like, I had this cool idea. My players mm-hmm. did not, did not like, they didn't pick up the trail. They didn't, they didn't open the door. I needed them to, they did not do what I asked. And then to echo to, to echo your your thing about the you know the random npc that suddenly they're very invested in i one time was running a game and we had marta who was a little like a dwarven woman running a gem shop and for whatever reason the rest of the campaign my party was like obsessed with knowing how was marta what was she up to where was was she would they come back to town they wanted to check in on her and make sure she was okay and i was like she was a throwaway character she wasn't intended to be anything oh, other than someone to sell you things my goodness so this actually just happened yesterday with rivals um we started our new season and you know we all kind of had our vignettes of what we've been up to since in that year because we did a time skip of a year and urban bohemian's character found like a a urchin who basically also seems to have magic and was kicked out because he has magic and in the backstage chat we're like this is our son you cannot let this child like leave you must bring them back to troll skull and poor brian had not seen any of this but and he mentioned it in the post show we did our chat but it's like we're all like we don't know this kid's story we don't know if this is a throwaway character from a suit made up we're all like no this is our son now you cannot leave him (laughs) Every single group is going to have a group like a character like that at yep. some point or other. I, I ran a game one time and the party became attached to the goblin card dealer at the gambling house. And I think like three adventures later, they still were like going back and checking in and bringing him on adventures Aww. and things. And I was like, I was like, y'all, y'all, he's just like a little gup. Go- he's not adventuring like y'all. He doesn't have. Okay. Well, I guess he has this person. Is it, we're gonna, I guess we're gonna like give him XP and adventures and things. That's yeah. I, those are like those are my favorite things. When like the the random little thing that you didn't plan for, like suddenly just like starts playing out in a way that's fun and like just very different. Like I said, I didn't intend for for Mart my little rock no or rock dwarf Marta to like turn into a whole thing. And then I had one of my players in a in a different campaign later made a character that was like a re- a relation to her like he made an entire character that was tied to this other npc from a different game just because he wanted to keep her alive in what we were doing um and i think for me i think one thing i would tell people listening is i think when you're going to the dm or gm side of, the, of things for the first time i think there's there's an anxiety that you feel like you have to know everything and you have to know all the rules inside and out upside down and like can recite off like oh well on page 72 it talked about attack of opportunity where if you do blah 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 like your players are going to understand like your players are going to be compassionate. They're going to be, they're going to give you grace. And if you mess up a rule, sometimes they're either not going to notice, they're not going to care. And so maybe that's your new house rule. Like you did something wrong enough times, you just keep doing it. And that's how you all play the game because it feels good for you all. Um, rules while, especially in a game like D and D I know it can be a bit more of a crunchier game, but like rules can be adjusted. Rules can be, it's your game. It doesn't matter if you don't follow everything a hundred percent. And sometimes I've had games where it's just like, this doesn't work for us. So let's, let's not do it. And that's totally valid. Um, now I know we, we've, we've kind of 
talked a bit about D and D things. I'm curious for you all, when you're looking at systems or looking at games that you're thinking, you know, you're making that decision. Like I would be interested in running something in this kind of a game. Are there things that you all look for in, in systems, especially outside of, of D and D if you, if you've run things outside of D and D. Um, I learn, I look for ease of getting new players kind of onboarded and also when possible getting away from a D20 system because I feel, and this is going to sound terrible and people may yell at me, ask me if I care. I feel like <laughs> D&D gives people, they they basically, it's like when people call everything, every kind of cola a Coke. When you're like, especially if you're like down south, it's like, what kind of Coke do you want? And you're like, what do you mean? What kind of Coke do I want? I want a Coca-Cola. They're like, well, you know, and then they start listing brands that are not Coke. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I feel like there's too much of a, of a shorthand to call everything D&D instead of saying TTRPG. Uh, but I have DM the Dragon Age uh, game for a couple seasons over on Wandering DM's channel. And, you know, that was much simpler to teach people. It's only 3D6 with one being your stunt die. And, you know, it's from a property a lot of people know, Dragon Age. And even we had player, we had a player that had never played the video games. So it was still easy to bring them into the world of Thetis, as it were. Um, and, you know, Vampire the Masquerade, it's it's a dice pool. It's all D10s and just mm-hmm. kind of learning your blood dice from your other dice. I try to think about breaking people out of the D20 mindset, which sounds kind of, ooh, that sounds like nefarious, but you know what I mean. Um, but also just <laughs> getting, you know what I mean? It's like people are so stuck on D&D or Pathfinder or something that uses a D20 system. I want to remind people there are other games. And I say this as someone who professionally plays D&D is that it will not hurt you to play other games. And I feel, I don't know if people feel like the other games are too hard. They're too esoteric. They're not their thing, but I think it also makes you a better player, better DM when you have experience outside of D&D, outside of Pathfinder. Um, and you can draw on those things as well. And also just makes you think as more games, more and more TTRPGs are becoming more narrative versus I go kill a goblin and get gold and XP next, please. Um, so I really just think of ease of onboarding, ease of play. And because it's what I do, I also think about how will this flow on a stream? Should mm-hmm. we ever put this game, you know, out for people or we decide to do a one shot or something? Will this drag? Is it boring? Is it fun? Will it engage people enough to want to go try the game we're playing? Things like that. I I love all of that. I'm still slightly reeling from Tanya 100% calling me out for calling everything a Coke and then having you to tell you which brand it is. Um, 100%. That was just my whole upbringing real fast. And I was like, ooh. I mean, that wasn't like a call out. It was more of a, the first time I went down south, I was very confused because I am a northern city girl. And they're like, well, you know, what can we get you? You want a Coke? And I'm like, yeah, a (laughs) Coca-Cola? It's like, well, we got Pepsi and RC. And I'm like, but you said a Coke. I'm confused. (laughs) 
that was just right back to my waiting tables days. And I immediately was like, all right, so now I have to double check and like decipher where you came from in the world. So I know whether you are ordering a Coke or whether you're ordering a Coke and you need a Dr. Pepper. I got exactly. (laughs) Um, When it comes to uh, kind of like exploring other RPG systems, uh, ease of use is definitely one of the biggest ones for me. And one of the biggest ones I think is really kind of jumping in and embodying a genre. Anything that allows you to really kind of explore mystery stories, horror stories, Games that feel a little bit more like they are a Saturday morning cartoon come to life. If something has this really big push for a specific style and a specific genre and something that you can kind of like dig your heels into and kind of play on your particular flavor of like cultural media, I think that that always helps so, so much in terms of like getting other players into things. I've had a lot of success with introducing players into TTRPGs as a whole, because I'm like, hey, I know that you really enjoy X, Y, and Z thing. I've got a system for that. I can do it. We can roll dice together. You don't have to play in Tolkien fantasy. You never have to touch it. Yeah, that's, I, I appreciate like, it's when you can find those touch points of like, oh, because I've done that with friends where it's like, oh, you really like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or X-Files or one of those. Let me talk to you about Monster of the Week, because I think that's going to be your flavor. Like, I, I love latching on to those those moments. I'm a big, big, big proponent of most systems that are built around um, Powered by the Apocalypse in terms of especially as like for a newer DM I've I've given I've I've given those recommendations to folks for like their first game to run and they find them incredibly easy. It's very narrative driven and it's a lot of building things together. And I think for a newer newer DM or GM that's really helpful to have the table around like you're not responsible for making everything. The table is helping create things and telling the story and and pulling it all together. Um and I'm thinking of games like Monster of the Week and Masks um I'm going to blank on I've run the, well, it's a little bit more complicated, but I've run the Avatar Last Airbender, which is also built on the Power by the Apocalypse. Um, but like, that's a fun system that is super easy for your players as well if you're trying to teach people because it's a 2D6 system with nothing else. And as a DM, you roll nothing, which is even better. Um, the fewer dice I have to roll, the happier I usually am. Absolutely. The, the D&D life of like, oh, let me let me pour out all my dice across my desk. Let me I need my six D6 for this thing. I need 12 D4s for that. Um, yeah. Or or being a rogue and doing sneak attack. You're like every D6 that I've ever owned is on the table. <laughs> and I need three from you to borrow real fast in order to hit <laughs> yeah. my full number. Yeah, we joke that happened during the Rivals live show, I think, this year. Or at PAX last year, where Eugenio actually needed more dice for a sneak attack. Yep. Oh, yeah. You just start grabbing dice from everybody. You just start building a little pile. And then eventually you have to remember, oh, wait, whose dice are all of these? Yeah. Uh, and especially, and I know for, for the, at this point, I think a lot of people are playing games virtually, which I think is, I think, I know we're seeing more people play tabletop games at this point. And I think some of that's because of accessibility of online things and, and being able to do stuff. And, 
I find D and D can it can be tricky when you have when you're trying to do you like use a dice roller and it's like okay I have to like count up all of my dice if I'm doing this or that or how many different things am I rolling. Um, so again, for like a new person, if you're trying to, especially if you're managing something online, simpler systems can be sometimes a little bit more of a stat, a nice step stone into something crunchier if that's what you're looking to build onto. Um, so aside from like the game itself, I think one, one question I, I would love to kind of hear from both of you is when, when you're sitting down to the table to DM or GM something, how do you create some space where folks feel included, folks feel comfortable how how do you create that that kind of safe environment for folks to to play and feel like they have the tools to you know shut something down if something goes down a path that they don't feel comfortable with or what is what does that look like for for each of you to like build that space for your players? I can. Uh, oh, go ahead. As you say, I can hop into this one first. Um, uh, whether it is a ongoing campaign or a one shot, I always sit down with players and go through a uh, consent and gaming checklist, whether it is a specific one or whether it is kind of like a really quick rundown of uh, something of that nature, um, especially because oftentimes I'm doing these online uh, for charity. Uh, I want to make sure that we are doing this all in a, a way that kind of allows players to have their voice and allows players to make sure that they get to state, I am very comfortable with these things and I am incredibly uncomfortable with these things and would like them not to be a part of the game. Uh, and I think that that's really, really important. Um, uh, kind of going, uh, touching back a little bit on uh, what Tanya had brought up before that kind of like us versus them mentality that was so, so heavily prevalent before and was uh, kind of a really toxic uh, element of uh, like game masters versus players. Um, at the end of the day, it's all a collaborative effort and it's all an effort to make sure that like everybody is having a good time and everybody is telling the story that they want to tell. It may not always go the way that we want and it may not turn out the way that we were hoping because of a roll of a dice or something like that. But at the end of the day, it's very, very important that we're all buying into it and everything that we are including is a part of that. Yeah. And the other part for me is checking in both, you know, before you go live, before you start playing, being, you know, taking breaks and, you know, if someone X cards out, maybe even taking a break, unless, of course, it's live and you can't just stop streaming that moment. Um, and also debriefing after, because I think a lot of people, especially now with us being remote, they don't or they can't or maybe everyone has to scatter once you're done. You're done on Discord or Zoom or whatever you're doing. And I think that is important because it's a chance to kind of come down as a group because playing these games are emotional playing these games are a lot and you know you get that rush you get that kind of emotional crash whether you're in the dm chair or as a player and i think sometimes it's it's harder especially if you pulled off the thing you've been planning for months or there's this great emotional moment or you know forbid it to happen if it's not a thing at your table a character dies how do you deal with that um and also being okay with saying, I like this person, they can't be at my table. And I think too many people are afraid to do that or don't want to because they don't want to upset people or whatever. 
and ask who's at the table because you can have all the safety tools in the world. But if you don't know someone is potentially coming to the table, no matter all the other steps the DM and others have taken, it can all go out the window if someone maybe for, you know, there's a range of reasons why we don't want to game with people. And if that person where you've just drawn your line sand of like never again, or I don't want to play with them for whatever reason, they show up in the Zoom call, they show up in person, that can throw all your safety tools right out the window because you didn't know. So I think as DMs asking up front, are there people you do not want to game with? Being okay with that. Because again, everyone's like, oh, we're friends, we're family, the TTRPG family and community. And yes, I'm sounding snarky on purpose for those listening. Because <laughs> um, I, I feel a way about the whole hashtag TTRPG family. And I feel like there's too much, you know, publicly, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. We all get along. We all love each other. Ooh, woo. But we all know that there are the backroom chats where people go, and why did you invite this person to the table? You know I can't stand them. Fill in the blank. And if that shocks people, then you don't talk to a lot of other people. Um, so in addition to the safety tools is asking the hard question of who's okay to be at this table for everyone involved. And when players become toxic, being okay with getting rid of them. Because I feel like that is something we see all the time in like advice requests or just conversation online. I have a toxic player. What do I do with them? You tell them to leave. Mm-hmm. and that's okay at the yeah. end of the day it's okay because you are making sure you and the other players are completely comfortable and uh like it it i think you hit it really really well when talking about the the concept of oh but we're just all a big lovely wonderful community and it's like that's great and that's wonderful but at the end of the day people are not going to be that way Mm-mm. completely. And you have to be willing to stand up for yourself and for your other players. I mean, like, no, you don't get to play with us. And that is upsetting to some people. But at the same time, if you had continued forward and you had allowed those people that overstepped various boundaries to take part in your games, then you have already undone all of the other work that you have done. Mm-hmm. And you've shown that yep. there's no, that on some level, I cannot trust you. Yep. And, it, and like you also like, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, we're also three queer people sitting here, um, you know, and I'm queer, cis, black, femme presenting. So that is four different, well, three, three different things where it's like, ooh, any number of those things could be a target for people. Yeah. And I think with remember like, and for your players coming around the table, I think it's, it's important. And I think this is something just in, in maybe in life as well, where it's, it's important when you're in that space of something, if something does happen or something does come up or someone crosses a line, if you set a boundary and somebody overstepped it, like for the rest of your players to see you say like, Hey, we talked about this before. We're not going down that road. We got to redirect. I don't want, like, we, we can't, you know, we'll talk about it afterwards and like follow up, but like just in this moment, I need to course correct us. And I'm going to do it so all my players see that, like, I take our whatever our boundaries were seriously. Because mm-hmm. um, you might still be able to have that conversation offline with that person. But if you will, you know, if you're in that space and something does go off the rails a little bit and you don't find some way to pull it back together, 
And sometimes it's just as a, as a DM just being like, all right, everybody, we're going to pause for a second because we're getting a little out of hand. I need everyone to reset. We're going to take five. We're going to come back. Um, and, and being okay with that, with that space. Cause it, you are the person running everything and people all do kind of look to you to like, make sure that whatever things they've outlined. And I know like, as, as Wesley was saying with like, you know, doing some sort of a consent thing ahead of time, or if it's, you know, if you're playing with friends and it doesn't feel as formal to do like a consent checklist, that, just even having that conversation of like, okay, like, are there things that we will or won't, you know, do or talk about? Um, I know with my, when I run games, I tell folks kind of, you know, we have that conversation. It's a little bit trickier when you have everybody on like a Zoom call and you're like, hey, what are your lot? Like, what are your boundaries? Like in front of these people that you may or may not know as well. Um but finding some ways to either get that from folks. And and I will tell folks like I, I like generally I don't include like homophobia, racism, transphobia, any of those things in my games, because I'm trying to create space for you all to lit, to have some adventure and have fun outside of the real world. And while that, those things can still exist in fantasy worlds, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be a plot point for us. And I can find other ways to make someone not want to engage with somebody and and keep some of that separate so that way people feel safe and i think putting it out there ahead of time of like what things they can or cannot expect from your game table is also important for for folks to hear mm-hmm. um absolutely a lot, of times, a lot of times players don't and they don't know they don't know what their boundaries are sometimes until they get pushed um if you know you're in a game and someone's like oh i'm good with whatever and then they start going and they're like oh wait i'm not good with that though like it's it can be tricky and having some of that space for people to figure out where those, those lines and boundaries are. Um, trying to think of other, other, other things that, that you all do maybe like at your session zeros um, or for folks listening, if you've never DM before, you have not played much like a session zero is a space to come together to like prior to playing the game, talking about characters, talking about some of the things that we're talking about. Um, is there anything that you all do in, in your session zeros or in your prep work with your players that, um, you found to be really helpful in terms of either kind of the safety tools and inclusion or just kind of in general building out your your stories um well for session zero and talking about characters so if it, if it was a longer running campaign um you know sitting down and going okay well what is everyone thinking of playing and then once we get through that because i don't want to I don't want to preclude people from going, well, I want to be a rogue. Well, I want to be a rogue. Okay, well, there are 8 billion different kinds of rogues that you both can be one at school. But, you know, do you all know each other? Are you going to meet in this first session? You know, also, if someone wants to be an evil character, how are we going to handle that? Are we fine with a character dying? Because some people get very precious. Not precious. But you put all this time and effort into making this character. And especially if you've gotten to a point where you've adventured for a while and things are going great, but oh no, here's your first real obstacle. How do we feel about character death? Because I've seen where people have a character die and they're very much not okay. And it turns out they never discussed that. Because I I think all of us have been playing since pre-session zero safety tools existed. Um so being cognizant of those things and being okay with a player feeling the need to walk away and like get themselves together and, you know, communication. Anytime a group of mine has fallen apart, either if I'm the DMGM or a player, it's a lack of communication that has always been the issue. 
Yeah, being being able to have those kind of uncomfortable conversations, and I, I think creating a space to be able to discuss those types of things in advance is really, really pertinent. But also a session zero can be a really fun way to say, what types of things do you want to see in this game? Like, mm-hmm. what types of really cool, heroic things do you want to accomplish? Do you want to end up being lords of a castle? Do you want to have an eventual fight with an actual dragon? Since everybody calls this game Dungeons and Dragons, and many of you may not have actually gotten to fight one yet. Like, asking folks what they want to kind of, like, have those big moments feel like I think can kind of like really kind of help set the tone of the game as a whole. Yeah. I, something new that I've done over the past couple campaigns I've started, and I just did it with a game I'm, I'm getting ready to, to run for some friends. I, cause I'm a big homebrew person. I tend to, I, I want to homebrew the world. I want to homebrew all the things. I want to give myself as much work as possible when DMing. Um, so, you know, I, I go, all out where, you know, I've, and I'll make the map and, and something I've been doing and I think has been exciting for my players as a way to feel a part of the the journey is I'll give a rough, like, okay, here's a bunch of like cities and here's a bunch of things about the world we're going to be in. I've left some of this blank. There's a really cool point of interest on this spot over here. What kinds of things do you, like, what, what would you all think might be over there? Um, and I've gotten some really cool stories out of stuff because people are like, oh, I would think that this would be X, Y, or Z thing. And then my my players leaving session zero, A, know a little bit about the world already that they're going to be diving into. And then B, I think have a level of investment in it. Um, that's been a lot of fun to see how folks respond to that because it's, I've been in some campaigns where it can be tricky when someone is a homebrew person or even like the traditional like D and D things of like Ravenloft or some of like the, the water deep and all these places that like, if you're not deep in the books, it's hard to, you know, you may not know them. Um, I I've enjoyed letting people kind of come up with things and talk about what, what might be going on or even a little bit of history of the world. Like, okay, like you're the, the, the world has cracked for some reason. What caused that? Um, it it makes the the storytelling for me a little bit more fun. Um, it's definitely something I wouldn't recommend like on your first campaign if you're a brand new DM. But it's something that has been interesting and fun as I've been trying to hone my DM skills a little bit. Uh, moving over, I'm trying to think. So I know we talked about, about like kind of world building. We talked about in, being inclusive at our tables and and how we create some of that space. Um, for each of you, do you have any super favorite DM GM moments that have like stuck with you over, over time? I mean, I have one, but I'm not trying to hog the mic. (laughs) I I will, I will go. Um, I had... A moment. We've actually talked a, a little bit about this um, uh, in terms of like people being okay with player death. Um, and uh, I had been running a home game for, uh, we were nearing the like year and a half mark. And we had been like inviting friends to kind of like join in as guest characters and kind of like join us for a little bit to kind of get into and learn the game. Uh, and 
everybody at the table had already agreed that if a moment came up and they felt that like a character death was uh, appropriate, that they would, they would be okay with it. And I had the moment in game and they were running away and trying to escape a crumbling Island after destroying the big epic beast at the center that was keeping it all together. And the moment came and unfortunately one of the characters got trapped as the Island was crumbling apart and nobody had any way to possibly free them. And for that very first moment, I had the very first player character death in a game that I DM'd. And I think the thing that stuck with me the most was I was more upset than they were. Like they were, they were like, oh, this is so cool. This is such a great way to go out. And I'm over here like silently sobbing. And I'm like, it's fine. I'm going to go ahead and take five because I wasn't prepared for this. I thought I was, but oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. Um, and I thought it was just such an interesting flip of like, I was anticipating other people having that emotional moment. And then I went, oh no, I feel bad. I didn't want to do that. Okay. Oh no. Then you're like, Ooh, I need to go sit down for five minutes. That was not what I thought was going to happen. I had to take a moment. Yeah. I, I feel that. Um, for me, it was actually the finale of Rivals season 14 because, and, I, and I've said this in our post show and other places, where my whole kind of conceit for the season was to make the Rivals consider that maybe they are not the good guys, that mm-hmm. there is a cost to the things they've been doing for the last several years. You know, you made a whole building come alive and fought it in Waterdeep. Do you know how many people probably died during that fight? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about, you know, kind of like with the MCU when we see, you know, massive parts of downtown destroyed and they can only save so many people. And it's like, have you thought about the things that you have done? Have you thought about the people that clearly would have gone to all the trouble to kidnap you and put you into space? (laughs) And, you know, they, they do find out, and slight spoiler if you're not caught up on Rivals, but they find out that basically the call is coming from inside the house. Not a rival, but someone in Waterdeep. And uh, we had Jasmine Bueller, that bronze girl, guest as Laurel Silverhand on our finale. And she got it immediately and really kind of was like, I will do anything to keep Waterdeep safe. And that includes removing you all because clearly you're not good for Waterdeep. And it just, it just was one of those, you could not have planned for this moments of everybody kind of ran with it in their own moment. They had their character have the realization of, Oh no. Oh no. What have we been doing all of this time? Should I like, should we stop? Should we leave Waterdeep? Are we actually good for Waterdeep and all these people we claim to protect? And we kind of set the stage a couple seasons before with that, you know, talking to the people in the North Ward and things like that. But it just played out in such a beautiful way of bouncing from person to person to person. And also Jasmine as Laurel cast uh, Master Polymorph and everyone turned into cats and it was hilarious. <laughs> and Brian and Eugenio, Urban uh, Bohemian and DM Jazzy Hands, Apparently found the filter in Zoom that turns you into a cat. 
and started meowing in answer to anything. So it was both this like deeply emotional, like 30 minutes of the show, but also I was struggling not to laugh because they would just as identical cats just go <laughs> meow. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot. I'm I'm the DM. I'm I'm trying to be serious, but you're both cute cats. <laughs> Oh, but the chaos, like the chaos of a good campaign, is so good. Sometimes, like when something like that happens, it's just such a good and fun moment. Oh, it was great. We got great gifts out of it. But I'm like, I'm trying to have a serious, you know, ponder, you know, have this great existential crisis. But you're a cat right now. Okay, I guess that's what we're doing. Uh, so I had actually I have. Two in my head that I, I can't decide which one I like better. So I, I'll give them briefly, both briefly. So one was actually this. It was a start of a it was session one of a D&D campaign I was running with some friends years ago. And the premise of the campaign that they didn't know was that it, that the the piece, the players all had been chosen to basically ascend as new gods in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And then the whole campaign was about their trials and tribulations. I literally documented everything, like all the major choices they made to then like summarize at the end. And like, I gave them these like really beautiful epilogues about like what kind of gods they become based on all the things they had done. Mm. Um, but the very, very first scene was them at like this big festival and a, like basically like a spotlight from the sky shone down on each of them to say that they were chosen for something. And it so quickly gave character personalities because one of our players didn't like people she didn't want to interact with a single human being. She didn't want to be in the limelight at all. And we literally out the gate put her in a literal spotlight. Oh no. <laughs> and it was oh, just no. like, and she, and she was so great. She had so much fun with it, but she was like, we got done with the first session. And she's like, that was rude. I was like, what? She goes, I didn't, she goes, you took, you took my character. It was uh, her character name was Elowick. She's like, you took Elowick and you put her literally in the one thing that she didn't want to do ever. Um, but it was, it was just that quickness, which was, they all like fell into their characters and had their personalities figured out and just had so much fun. Um, and I love finding interesting ways to start versus like the four people walk into a bar together. Um, and like, that was a moment that, that stuck with me. And then the other one was I ran a campaign in, um, the Savage World system, which I really Mm. enjoy. And we basically, the, the whole campaign was kind of this like weird Doctor Who-ish adventure where they were like bopping from planet to planet with all different technology and worlds. And then at the end, they got to figure out like what they wanted to go do. And we had this big battle with a vampire and all this stuff. And like one of them was like, I'm going to become a vampire. I want to I want to be a vampire. And I was like, okay. Oh, oh, okay. Sure. Someone else was like, she basically took her ship and decided she was going to fly the galaxy and basically become Doctor Who, where she went around and found princesses that wanted to go on adventures with her and would take them all around. Like, they all had, like, built out these really cool and developed characters and stories that when we got to the end, and I was like, okay, like, so how do you all, like, where do you go from here? They had so much to go off of, and they had these just, like, wild, wild adventures that, like, all their characters were going to go on. And for me as a DM, it was nice to see that full arc of where these characters had been and where they were going. Mm. Um, that let me know like how just how much the set, like the campaign had had impacted everybody. Um, Savage World is definitely one that I, I recommend to folks if you are ever looking for something that is 
it can basically do any genre of whatever you want um and has a lot of interesting mechanics in it again like it's for a very first time gm it could be a little bit overwhelming just with the amount of stuff that there is but it was a super super fun system we had a ton of fun playing with it um yeah and I think the, like the last question that I, the last thing I wanted to hit on with folks before we wrap up is, you know, I think we've kind of done it a little bit, sprinkled it here and there, but, but just kind of very directly asking you if you had a new DM or GM in front of you that was asking you for advice on starting up there for their first time, what, what are like a couple, like one or two things that you're like, these are the most important things to consider when you're getting ready to jump in to be a DM. Ooh. That's not easy at all. Um, <laughs> tone. Um, is this going to be short or long form? Are you playing in this day and age? You have to consider, are you going to stream it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, safety tools, who's at the table. And, you know, especially as a newer DMGM, it may feel like you're over communicating, but checking in, doing all the stuff as you play. And then if you are already, if you decide to stream it, you know, how long is your show are you making sure people are enjoying themselves are you checking in uh do you have good moderation things like that and if you're going to stream it make sure your audio is great because you know people will forgive most of the time video issues but if they can't hear you and understand you then it's a whole other thing right uh wesley what about you any advice for fledgling dms um, one, every single thing that Tanya said, 100%. Um, <laughs> absolutely. And one other thing that I would kind of give uh, to folks is you'll hear a lot of us uh, DMs, GMs, uh, folk kind of like give, give advice. And a lot of times it does come from this kind of like just like general purpose place. Um, but I will also challenge you to check in with your players and if something that we say or something that we have talked about, something that we have suggested doesn't quite work for you and your group, that's okay. If it works for you and it works for your group and it is something that you all are able to kind of come together and work with and agree on, go with that. Because at the end of the day, it is, is you and your group having fun. Um, so always, always keep that as a consideration. Um, we can, we can give pointers, we can give advice, we can do all these things. Um, but if something that we say results in you and your group not having fun, then that's just not for you. And that's all right too. Yeah, I think, I mean, I obviously, I echo everything both of you said times a hundred, um, I think the only things that I would throw on would just be, I know I said it earlier, but I think knowing that rules are optional, if, if there's something that doesn't fit, if something doesn't work, I always tell my players, like, if you want to do something and there's not rules for it, because in D and D as much as like, cause I know that's the big one everyone kind of defaults to as much as there's a, you know, hundreds of pages of rules, there's always going to find yourself in a scenario where someone's like, I want to do X thing. And there's not maybe a rule for it directly or it's going to take you forever to figure out what the rule is on it. It's okay to just say, okay, um, 
give me this role and we'll see what happens. And that feels fine. Um, it, don't, don't let the rules bog down your ability to have a good time with your players. Um, and you may play with people who know the game inside and out. And I think it's okay to be transparent. I tell my players all the time, like, I generally know what I'm doing. I will probably make mistakes and it's fine. We're all fine. It's a game. We're going to have fun. My goal is to make sure you will have a good time. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big one for me. Um, and then I think my, my other advice would be, I I've been a big proponent of look at the indie games, look at the smaller systems, look at some of the things that maybe have some modules, have some different things. Um, I played one recent, a little bit ago with some friends called Emberwind, which was so delightful. It was, the books were basically kind of like a, almost like a choose your own adventure vibe, but with some like dice rolling and combat and some of that, but it was a really cool story to be able to play through with folks. Um, so, you know, wherever you can, I know, um, itch.io is a big space where people can go and like, look for games, um, keep an eye out for things. Cause there's just as someone was saying before, like if you've got an area of interest, there's probably a game that aligns with that interest. Um, I, I have gone through so many different systems and found that there's just so many different ones. I currently am getting ready to run a game with some people for a different podcast. That is a, uh, murder. She wrote meets Cthulhu, um, which I'm pumped for, but it just is a lie, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep, exactly. I it's going to be wild, but I think finding those things, having some fun in those in those weird systems, because um, again, a lot of times they're they're simpler to pick up, they're simpler to learn. Um, I think th- that's kind of my my only. And then the last thing is just like every, your plans are going to go out the window, and it's okay. Um, someone's not going to do the thing you need them to do, and if it's that important, find a way to build it in to make sure that it happens, or don't, and just know that they'll never know that what was behind that door and the two hour session you had plans. Um, but yeah, I think I've, I've derived a lot of fun from, from DMing and GMing. I think it's been great. I wouldn't keep doing it if I didn't enjoy it. Um, and I, I'm sure that Wesley and, and Tanya probably feel similarly in that regard. Um, you wouldn't devote time and energy into a thing if you weren't at least having some fun with it. Oh, absolutely not. And, you know, I I think about that a lot because we're coming up on five years of doing Rivals. And, you know, knock on wood, if all goes well, we'll be ending around our five-year mark. I wouldn't keep coming back, you know, for basically half my Sunday for five years if I didn't enjoy it or or do, you know, the, the Dragon Age RPG on another channel if I didn't have fun because the shenaniganry we got up to made it all worth it, you know. Nice. So at this point, we'll wrap. We'll we'll wrap up. Um, I will because I I know both of you are very active on the internet. Usually, ask people like if you want to be found on the internet, but I know both of you are very active on social media, um, which means you likely would like to be found. Mm. Um, (laughs) Maybe some days. Yeah. Um, but if you, I'll, I'll ask anyway. So if you would like to be found on the internet, where can people find you? And we'll start with with Tanya. Uh, you can find me everywhere as Cypher of Tears, C-Y-P-H-E-R-O-F-T-Y-R. That is my personal uh, socials. Uh, if you like, if you do like the D&Ds and want to support an all-PLC show into going into its last season as level 20 characters, 
Uh, that is Rivals of Waterdeep. Our Twitter's Rivals Waterdeep because OF did not fit. Um, and that is Sundays, 10 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Central. Uh, we're doing a run of six episodes, taking a break, and then coming back so we can end as close to our fifth anniversary as possible. Um, and then everything else is kind of TBD. If there's a seat at your table and you're not a weirdo or creepy, hit me up. Uh, my email's in my bio. And I just did like the peace sign, even though neither of you can see me. <laughs> I could feel it though. I could feel it. We could, we knew it was there. Uh, Wesley, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah. Everybody can find me at Wesselhausen, W E S S L H A U S E N. Uh, that is on all of the social medias because nobody else would use that as their name. Um, so I lucked out in getting that on everything. Uh, feel free to come find me. Uh, like I said, I am a huge proponent of even if you are not a uh, big fan of Tolkien fantasy, come tell me what genres and types of things that you really enjoy. And I promise I can find you a system out there so that you can enjoy all of this fun that we have been talking about uh, for this hour or so, uh, because this is such an incredibly fun series of storytelling and playing games. Uh, and we're sure to find something that you can enjoy. Um, and for folks listening, if you don't follow our podcast already on social media, you can find us at the queer XP on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, and just ask that you tell your, tell your friends, if you enjoy listening to us, share the episode out with folks. Um, let me pull up real quick. So next week, the episode that will be dropping after this is an actual play of a game called those of us who know better, which is by CJ Linton. Um, it is a trans superhero uh, tabletop adventure with some light elements of everything everywhere all at once is kind of how I just will describe it. So in order for people to use their superpowers, they have to do ridiculous things to make them activate and work. So the crew, we've recorded it already. It's a wild adventure. It's super do well done. It's we're running a pre-made adventure that the creator included with the content because it was just so good. Um, so please make sure you come back next week and give that a listen. Thank you again uh, to my two guests for joining. This has been a lovely conversation. I appreciate both of you. Um, and with that, we will see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>